Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Colt Molesky, and joined today, Lucas Seehofer is joining me today talking a little bit about injury reports leading up and following after, well, after the, the Celtics game is the notable one, but now leading up to the Timberwolves game, also covering some injuries for Kawhi. He's not going to be playing against the Timberwolves. The NBA is finally back. Lucas, how excited are you to be watching some basketball again? Oh, man, basketball, that actually matters. Pretty <laughs> pumped, pretty pumped. It's beautiful, right? Exactly. All righty, so first of all, if you haven't checked it out on Zone Coverage, Lucas wrote a great piece about uh, ankle injuries and specific to Gordon Hayward's ankle injury. If you haven't seen it, uh, I don't know if I would exactly advise to go out and see it, but Gordon Hayward has serious, serious ankle injury he it looks like he might be out for the rest of the season if not uh, at least a considerable amount of time in their game against the Cleveland Cavaliers when he sustained the injury in the first six minutes Uh, Lucas I'm going to let you take it away from here just because you are you are the the expert in this area Uh, what happened and uh, what was your initial thought when you saw him go down as far as the injury right so Basically, for those of you that haven't seen the image or the video, um, what happened was uh, Hayward went up for, I think it was a, like an oop dunk, basically, and uh, he got bumped by uh, LeBron, another defender. He ended up falling and landing kind of with his uh, his foot pointed out and up, and it kind of felt like with all his weight on there. Um, originally, when it happened, I didn't, notice it right away i didn't notice that anything like severe happened until kevin harlan said something like oh my god gordon hayward broke his leg well yeah you have that initial shock and then you see the cavaliers bench kind of jump away and everybody's trying to run to get somebody who knows what to do yeah exactly and 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 they they showed him on live tv for just a brief second and it was like oh yeah he he broke something um when when injuries happen in the game, I like to wait until there's an official report um, from from either from you know from the sideline reporter or from from the team. Um, so you knew it was either broken or dislocated right away. Um, originally, you know, my first thought was, "Oh God, do we have another Paul George situation on our hands?" Um, but that turned out not to be the case. Um, the, the big difference between what Paul George had and what um, what Hayward ended up having was Paul George uh, fractured his tibia, so the, the shin bone, the large bone in the lower leg. He fractured that about halfway down. However, with Gordon Hayward, as it was um, 
announced, I think it was announced officially today, um, that he fractured his tibia and dislocated his ankle. So basically, he he broke the same bone, but it was farther down. Um, so the significance with that is you start worrying about um, ligament damage, tendon damage, you know, stuff other than the bone. You know, we've we've been able to see Paul George come back. Uh, he missed the majority of the year, but he was able to come back and, you know, play at a high level. And that's because really all he injured was the bone. The bone itself heals pretty quickly after these injuries happen. You know, they'll, they'll reduce it and um, do perform surgery, either put in screws or rods, you know, something to hold that bone in place. And the bone is actually grows back together and is considered quote-unquote healed in about six weeks. Now, that doesn't mean the bone is up to its normal strength. So it actually takes up to a year, maybe even two years, for the bone to grow all the way back as strong as it was before the injury. So with Hayward, his once he has surgery, and it was announced today that he'll have surgery, once he has surgery six weeks from then, the bone will be basically back together. It'll be healed back together. It won't be at full strength, but it'll be it'll be healed back together. At that point, in the uh, the rehab will really kick in, and you'll be able to put his full weight on it. You'll be able to start doing heavier lifts, stuff like that. Um, and at at this point, right away, once the surgery is done, he'll start doing, you know, gentle range of motion, gentle strengthening, things like that, because as the bone is healing, you need to keep as much, oh, well, it, de- it depends on what injury it is, but with an injury as significant as Hayward's, you want to keep as much weight off of it as possible to allow for the bone to heal properly. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but it also leads to the muscles atrophying a little bit, getting weaker, the ligaments and the tendons kind of tightening it up. And that return of strength and return of range of motion is actually what takes the the uh, rehab to be so long. So at this point, it's it's tough to speculate as to whether or not Hayward is going to miss the entire year. Um, I all I feel comfortable at this saying at this time is that he's probably going to miss a significant amount of time, probably most of the year but I don't really know if it can be said if he's going to miss the entire year or not. And I should have, I don't think I mentioned this, I should have right away, but you're a doctor of physical therapy, a grad student, so you you know what you're talking about. And just as far as, I know this is kind of a freak accident that happens, these guys do this, especially when you're a forward, you're doing this a ton of times throughout the period of just one game and to land on other people's feet is just kind of something that happens by chance but was there is there anything that you can do to like avoid this at all is there like a any brace or any high top shoe or is this just something that just is a freak accident that's going to happen and it's going to happen no matter what yeah and an injury to this extent is just kind of a freak accident i don't really think there's anything much you could have done um to prevent that you know when you start looking at ankle fractures in like the quote-unquote normal population so just you and me uh, you maybe look at stuff like bone density, like are their bones strong enough? But with Hayward, he's, 
I imagine he's got a great diet. He works out constantly. So bone density shouldn't be a problem. So from that standpoint, there isn't really much that can be done. Um, but as far as like straight up ankle sprains, um, the research has shown that wearing, you know, taping your ankles or wearing ankle braces actually help prevent uh, not only just first time ankle sprains, but ankle sprains after you've experienced an ankle sprain. Um, however, there hasn't been a whole lot of research done, and the research that I have read hasn't been very conclusive as far as high top shoes versus low top shoes preventing um, ankle sprains. All right. So that's that's something interesting to look at in the future. No, yeah, and for again for something, if you've seen it, you know it it was so severe that it doesn't really look like there was much that was going to get in the way of that happening just because of how how gnarly that was and how severely he damaged that ankle. So yeah, uh, it was just an unfortunate thing. It just uh, landed wrongly and it just kind of happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so just obviously. Uh, he's got a lot ahead of him, so it's it's not conclusive. But in your mind, is there any way that he sees the court this season? I would, I would probably err on the side of possibly not. However, that doesn't mean he won't. It's really going to depend on how the surgery, how quickly they get the surgery done and how they think the rehab is going, as well as where the Celtics are at at the end of the year. You know, maybe if the Celtics have the one seed still at the end of the season, which, you know, with or with Hayward, excuse me, missing a whole lot of time, I don't know if you can really bank on that. But if the Celtics are playing really well and they think they have a chance of winning a championship and Hayward's uh, rehab has gone as well as can be expected, you know, maybe you'll see him for the end of the season or for the playoffs. I just, at this point, I don't totally know 100% what to expect, and I'm not sure anybody really does either. It's probably going to be a week-by-week, month-by-month basis, and I'll just kind of see what happens. Well, and there, too, I know that it's not exact science just because getting into rehab and how a player mentally comes back when, it, especially like that it's something that happens during a, a fairly routine play for for a player of his caliber uh, it gets into a whole nother thing that's not really as much of a statistic as much as much more of a case-by-case kind of thing but it, right. it would be good for to see him be able to get back on the court but obviously you don't want to rush something and have long-term damage exactly and it you know he'll be on the court again um I just don't know if it'll be this year or not. Yeah, and uh, moving on to a couple more injuries, Gordon Hayward, obviously the big one of the night, but there were some other ones too. Uh, Draymond Green, I don't know if you watched the late game, but it was Warriors versus Rockets for the late night game, and Draymond Green had this kind of strange where it looked like almost his his leg slipped and his knee bent inwards a little bit on a drive to the basket and he left the mm-hmm. game and he didn't return. They, he said they had a, a strained knee ligament or uh, something of that nature. And I was just wondering what, if you saw the play, what did you, what did you think of it? Is there any danger that he misses any significant amount of time or is that just a little, just a little Nick? Um, I I didn't uh, actually get to see. I only watched the first half of the game, so I didn't see the injury happen. Uh, 
Um, and I haven't, I haven't seen a report as to if he got an MRI or if he uh, is going to expected to miss any games or anything like that. Um, but from what it sounds like, it sounds like he maybe um, sprained like an M- his MCL, the big strong ligament on the inside of your knee there, uh, which would be the same one that Curry injured uh, back in the playoffs a couple years ago. Um, it, as far as will he miss time, it really kind of depends on the grade of the sprain. And typically they don't really announce that in the press, in the press releases or whatever. Uh, but basically there are three grades of sprain. Um, so grade one is the, is the least bad and a uh, grade three is the worst where, uh, a grade one is just like a simple overstretch, a grade two is an overstretch with a little bit of a tear, and a grade three is a full tear. Now, unlike the ACL, the MCL does actually heal itself with time. So if it's a grade one sprain, you're probably looking at like a day-to-day, maybe out a week kind of thing. Uh, It's going to be sore, and maybe you'll feel a little little loose for the first few days, um, but with a little bit of rehab, a little bit of strengthening exercises, and just time, it, that one should be fine to go. Now, if we get into grade two uh, sprains, surgery isn't required for those, but the rehab is a little bit longer. You're looking probably more about three or four to six weeks, um, and then that's just kind of based on pain tolerance, how uh, it feels while you're running and jumping and things like that. Whereas now if it's a grade three sprain, and that means it's a full tear of the ligament, that does require surgery. And obviously with that, the rehab is even much longer. You're, you're talking a month or two maybe. So if you're the so, – I just wanted to ask, if you're the athletic trainer, you if it's one of those grades higher than the, the first, you probably hold him out just because it's the beginning of the season, right? Yeah, and because they're the Warriors, you know, for you know, at, at this point of the year, uh, and you're kind of seeing the the Spurs do this with Kawhi Leonard, at, or this early in the year, and if your team is really good and pretty deep, there isn't really a whole lot of reason to rush a player back from injury. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, you see this with the Timberwolves and Justin Patton. Um, from everything I've seen, they're kind of progressing him pretty slowly from his. Uh, fifth meta metatarsal, uh, yeah, excuse me, fifth metatarsal break. Um, he injured that kind of in the middle of the summer. The average timeline for that kind of injury is kind of late October, early November, sometime in there. But what they were saying is that they're just going to take their time with him. They're just going to let him heal. There's no real rush to get there. So when you're talking about injuries early in the season, and even kind of in the middle of the season, you you just don't want to push them back too soon. Yeah, those are two that I, I wanted to talk about as well, uh, segueing right into tonight's game, the opener for the Timberwolves on the road in San Antonio playing the Spurs. Uh, first of all, Kawhi Leonard is probably the biggest story for that game. Well, he's not probably. He is the biggest story as far as injured players for that game. Uh Dealing with the quad that is going to hold him out and they're not really telling us how long he's going to be out, is there any concern when you're sitting there and they're saying, ah, it's just one of those things where 
it's based on how he feels day to day. Is there a concern there that it's more of a lingering injury and there may be other problems there? Or is it just something where they don't want their star player to suffer any more damage than he's already taken? You know, it it might be a little bit of both, to be honest. Because um, what he's been diagnosed with is, I believe the term they've used is tendinopathy which is kind of one of the more medically correct terms for tendonitis. Um, When you hear the word tendonitis, you think of something that's acutely inflamed, whereas a tendinopathy is the basically its definition is a quote-unquote dysfunction of the tendon. And that doesn't mean necessarily that there's anything structurally wrong with it. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that it's torn or anything. It just means that it's it has some pain with movement, or you're not as able to um, explode as forcefully as normally because there's some pain or some tightness in that in that tendon. So when you start talking about tendinopathies or another word that may be used as a tendinosis, um, those injuries they they tend to linger. Um, and so when, when it was first reported that he was, he's been struggling with this since last year, it's not all that shocking. It is a treatable thing. Um, and typically surgery isn't really needed for these types of injuries because like I said, it's not like something is torn and isn't healing properly. It's just something that's painful or, you know, not functioning as a hundred percent as you'd like. Um, so a lot of the things I'm sure that, uh, the Spurs are doing is there's specific exercises that you can do, uh, to help with some of these tendinopathies. Um, there's certain other things that you can do, like in the physical therapy realm, we call them joint mobilizations where you, uh, kind of move the joint in different ways that help calm the nervous system help increase range of motion, stretch the knee, stuff like that. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things that you can that you can do. Um, and like kind of like I said, that they linger. There's, they're not, it may never go 100% away, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything is really all that wrong. So when the Spurs are saying, you know, there's no timeline, we're just going to kind of take it day by day, that's really all they can do at this point. It's just up to up to Kawhi as far as how he thinks his knee is feeling, if he thinks he can play on it, if he thinks, you know, maybe one day it'll feel good, the next day it'll flare up. It it's tough it's tough to know and it's tough to predict how those injuries are gonna how they're gonna manifest because they're for everybody they manifest differently. Well, and tough kind of if it's going to flare up too, tough kind of to, to plan for if you're a team and you're not sure for the next, what would you say, three months at least if this guy is able to play for solid amounts of time or if he's going to be playing for a couple of weeks and then it's going to flare up and he's not able to jump around under the under the rim like we're used to seeing him do and he has to sit out for a couple of games. That's tough to, to plan for as well just in the, in the stretch of an 82-game season. Right. And a, a lot of people, when they think of these types of injuries, especially when they hear like a tendonitis, they think that maybe rest is going to be the best treatment, you know. And, and that kind of makes some logical sense. If something's painful and hurting, don't don't do anything with it. Give it some time to heal. Um, but that's not 
100% the best treatment with these kind of injuries because if you just let them rest, they tend to tighten up. You know, when you when you're resting, you actually have you know, not only do you have blood and lymph and all these different fluids within your body, but they kind of accumulate in the open spaces. So if you were to just rest your knee for a few days without really moving it, it would get really tight because all of the fluid kind of goes to that knee. So you actually want to keep it moving because that helps, you know, get that fluid going. It improves the blood flow to the area, which promotes healing. And, you know, it's, but there, there is a kind of a balance between too much activity, not enough, not enough activity. And really that's where that day-to-day thing comes in. Well, they'll try something, they'll see how he feels the next day, and if something needs to be adjusted, they'll adjust it. And obviously, uh, rehab plays a big role in there. With all the injuries, it does, but especially with one that's lingering, him staying on top of rehab throughout the entire season, not just to get back on the court, I'm sure is very important. Just like you're saying, to keep that thing as mobile and, and active as possible to keep from any from any stiffness and tightness, I'm sure, is, is really huge throughout these 82 games. Right, exactly. Yep, it, it's, all just, it's all just the balance. For sure. And the, the last thing I wanted to get to, obviously I'm not sure it'll really play any sort of role this season just because Carl Anthony Towns is going to be playing a huge amount of minutes at that five spot, and on a Tom Thibodeau team, those starters play a lot of minutes anyways. But Justin Patton is one of those guys who was actually kind of an exciting prospect. Yeah, not one of the, the top 10 prospects level exciting, but I think down the road he could actually be a pretty solid player and has some solid raw talent just as far as some, some offensive moves that I think really apply to the NBA game, a couple nice nice moves to, for him to score at the next level. What's the what's the situation with his injury? Where do you read that as far as where his rehab's coming along? Maybe when we can expect to see him grab some minutes on the floor or at least be healthy enough to grab minutes on the floor. What What's the timetable for Patton? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to know with 100% certainty because all we were told is that he suffered a fifth metatarsal fracture. And there's actually three different types of meta, uh, metatarsal fractures. You have the notorious Jones fracture, you know, that's often slow to heal. A lot of NBA players have suffered from it. You know, most recently probably Ben Simmons uh, missed the entire year last year. But then you also have what's known as an avulsion fracture, which happens when you roll the ankle and the tendon of the muscle on the outside of your lower leg actually attaches to that fifth metatarsal and when you roll your ankle that tendon pulls a chip of a bone off of the fifth metatarsal oh, oh yeah, no it's, it's yeah it's not a it's not a pretty injury um but that but that injury typically heals a lot better um and you know with that one the the, the rehab is a lot typically a lot shorter and then you also have a stress fracture that can occur um, in that fifth metatarsal. Now, we know that Patton's injury was an acute fracture, so it wasn't the stress injury. But we don't know if it was a Jones fracture or an avulsion fracture. However, because the injury happened, I think it was in June or July. I, I forget exactly. Yeah, that June, right at, the, right at the beginning of the summer there. 
Yeah. So when the kind of the typical timeline that I've seen in the research from when either of those injuries happen is it's typically about three to four months. So that would put him about the end of October, early November. But that's assuming everything heals, you know, optimally and rehab goes optimally. A lot of those times with those Jones fractures, they're, they're kind of slow to heal because the blood supply to that specific location in the bone is pretty poor. So sometimes they, you know, grow back together uh, slowly. Sometimes they don't really do that at all. And at that point, another surgery is needed. Um, so as far as we know, it sounds like everything is going pretty well. The timbrels are kind of taking it pretty slow with him. It sounds like he hasn't had any complications. I would think probably before the turn of the new year, for sure, he'd be he'd be cleared to go. Now, whether or not he plays with the Timberwolves is another thing. I think he probably spends a lot of time in Iowa. Regardless, you know, if, if he didn't injure his foot, I'm sure he would have saw many, uh, many minutes in Iowa. So at this point, it's just kind of a wait and see and uh, kind of take the Timberwolves at their word at this point. Well, yeah, you're right. And uh, it's not anything that I'm saying is going to it's going to ruin uh, the Timberwolves season for sure, but uh, it would be nice if they had him just as another piece to add a little depth to the roster, make sure he's around to, to maybe after he's all the way healthy and shown in Iowa that he can take reps and he's not he's not lingering any of that injury in, the, in on his body that he can uh, maybe add some depth to the bench, but I don't think it's going to have any effect on the San Antonio game. Uh, moving on from some of those injuries, that was a great injury report from, from Lucas. Moving on from some of those injuries, just the first game of the season tonight, Timberwolves taking on the Spurs. Uh, I'm really excited. I know I'm very excited to see the Timberwolves in action. It should be a really good game. Uh, there's some young players on the Spurs. If you missed it, there was an episode I had locked on host, locked on host for the Spurs Locked On podcast. Uh, talking about the young players on the Spurs team that he's excited about, that the Spurs are excited about. So I think there will be a lot of points scored here. Uh, maybe see some some defense improvements just right away from the seat from the from the off season. Hopefully you you see some some stops from the Timberwolves, but I feel like there will be a lot of points scored in this one. What say to you? Yeah, the the potential is definitely there. Um, you know, obviously not having Leonard kind of. Uh, hurts the hurts the Spurs both offensively and defensively, um, but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how how the, uh, the the Wolves defense improved from last year to see if you know do they make major steps right away? Is it more of a gradual thing? Um, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and you know, I think the spacing issues that a lot of that a lot of times get brought up with the Wolves. Um, I think it, you know, I think it won't be as as bad as what um, as what people think. Um, if you look at some of the spot up numbers that these guys put up last year, you know, um, Andrew Wiggins shot 40% from three on spot up opportunities. I think Jimmy Butler shot like 38%. I think Teague was the lowest of the starters, um, and swapping out. Um, swapping in Gorgie Jang into the starting lineup here instead of Gibson. Um, all of the starters shot above 37% on spot-up threes last year, which was above – all of them were above league average. Well, so it, it'll it be interesting to see how often 
uh, players like Butler and Teague and Wiggins, how often they take spot-up threes versus off the dribble. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I think, too, that just this roster is fairly, or it seems to be pretty unselfish just as a group. And so I I don't see any problem that Jimmy Butler would have in feeding a guy who's playing hot for a quarter or for a game. I, I really really feel like this offense is going to be predicated on who's hitting and knocking down shots as opposed to who they feel like they have to get the ball to and I think that is going to be one of the strengths of this team is that they have guys they have Towns and Butler and Wiggins and even Teague is one of these guys who can go off for a night and score 25 30 points and I think the guys around him are going to have no problem in working him free and making plays to get him open and get him the ball whoever is scoring the most that night and whoever's really feeling their shot and just in general too I think there's a lot of speculation about maybe Wiggins is going to try and pull shots from Butler or Butler is going to take away shots from Wiggins if you look at the numbers there too I the Wiggins finishes really well well around the basket whereas Butler is really good in that 15 to 18 foot range shooting the ball and so I think that there's going to be a lot more compliment as opposed to detraction on the offensive side for the Timberwolves and I think you saw it early too I think you saw it right away in preseason every game they averaged over 100 points and I know that people aren't playing the tightest defense in preseason but the fact of the matter is is they're still pushing the ball they're still getting good floor spacing right off the bat they're they're still scoring and I think that was a, a promising little start for them in the preseason I think it's going to translate to the to the regular season because they have a lot of talent on this team uh, if you're looking at one specific matchup in this game what are you, what are you looking at? Um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested to see how um, the Spurs of big men, so Gasol and Lamarcus Aldridge, how they match up against Gibson and Towns, because Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, for all his faults, has actually been a pretty solid defensive player um, over the last few years, especially last year and in the playoffs. So, do they put? Aldridge on Towns or do they put Gasol on Towns because you know Gasol can maybe stick with him out um, out in the perimeter a little better you know maybe use some of his vet savvy in the post to defend Towns no that'll be and then and then also how does it how do the how do the Wolves match up against the Spurs so you know is Towns going to be on Aldridge I think that's probably would be the smartest option but then again, Gibson is the guy who's going to be able to bang with him and, you know, keep him out of the post. Um, and maybe is the better defensive matchup. And then you have Danny Green versus Andrew Wiggins. Or, you know, how does Patty Mills versus Jeff Teague go? Really, I'm, I don't know if there's a specific matchup that has me super excited for this game. I'm just really interested to see how the new Wolves additions, um, how they handled playing with each other in a game that actually matters and then how do the wolves match up in certain situations you know end of the quarter end of the half coming out of halftime like not only how do they match up but how do they attack those situations specifically on defense because you know last year you'd see the wolves build up a big lead in the first half and then coming out of halftime they'd just be dead especially on defense you know, end of the half, end of the um, game situations, the defense was nowhere to be found. So how does that change 
specifically, and specifically early in the year. Because I think it could take some time for the defense to gel and to kind of come together as a unit. Um, you know, just because you have three new starters to the offensive system or to the system overall. Um, and, you know, Towns and Wiggins don't exactly have stellar defensive reputations at this point. <laughs> you know, how how are they able to almost pick and choose their battles on the defensive end of the court and how that impacts the game overall? No, you bring up I, – I really like that LaMarcus Aldridge, Towns, just the idea of – because you, you mentioned it, Towns and Wiggins have to show – they showed us what they can do offensively. Now it's it'd be nice to see what they can do and how they've grown defensively. And going up against in game one a wily veteran who's going to want to do a lot of things in the paint, and he's got that nice kind of spin double pump shot within like the 15 foot range how how do you defend shots like that that are going to be really tough against a big physical guy that'll be a good test for towns right out the gate uh i think my the matchup i'm looking forward to uh stealing this from jeff uh, garcia is uh, the the matchup it sounds like danny green is going to play a lot on jimmy butler is was his speculation that matchup would be really good to watch just because jimmy butler's got to be careful i think it'd be really really good for the Spurs momentum just if Green has a quarter where he knocks down two or three shots from behind the arc I think that's going to do a lot momentum wise for them so keeping him under wraps for the entirety of the game will be really important for Butler Uh, that'll be that'll be one I'm watching very excited for the Wolves season to get underway if you want to prepare even more for that first game you can listen to the show again I had Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs on the show. I've been retweeting that one out, and that's on the Zone Coverage site. Uh, Lucas, anything? Obviously, you should go check out Lucas's article on the Gordon Hayward injury. Anything else that you have upcoming that you want to plug, or anything you uh, you think you're going to be writing in the future here? Well, I'll actually have the game recap for tonight up on at a wolf among wolves.com. So. Uh, there's a plug for the website that I read about the Timberwolves for. And then, yeah, obviously I'll have injury stuff up at zone coverage as it happens. Excellent. Go check that out. Remember, go check out both those sites and go read the the injury article that Lucas has on zonecoverage.com. It's really good. And he, he goes super in-depth on all the, all the Gordon Hayward stuff. So go check that out. Be looking out on zone coverage, too, for all the, the recaps for the, the Wolves game as well. Uh, thank you for listening to another Locked On Wolves. This has been with Lucas and your host, Colt Molesky, on another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. with the helpful hardware folks.
It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.